So as we were discussing yesterday, compassion is the root of all happiness of ourselves and others. And so let's generate that compassion that wants self and others to be free of suffering and its causes. But let's make sure that we generate it for everybody equally. We extend it out widely to all beings. And let's make that high aspiration to become a Buddha for the benefit of all beings. That being motivated by compassion. And also generate the aspiration or the determination to act with compassion in our daily life instead of spacing out and taking everybody and everything for granted. The biggest uh, enemy of compassion is our self-centeredness. And it's this self-centeredness whose motto is, I want what I want when I want it. And that's kind of how we live our life. You know? I want what I want when I want it. And just the fact that I want it is enough to mean that I should get it and I deserve it and that other people and in fact the entire universe should sacrifice so that I get what I want plus I'm American (laughs) so we definitely deserve it yeah kind of arrogance we have but this self-centered thought is really quite an enemy because when we live our life through seeing seeing life through that framework of self-centeredness then we are constantly running into everything because the whole world doesn't cooperate with what our self-centered mind wants does it? yeah We have our ideas, our likes, our dislikes, our opinions, our preferences, our advice for everybody in the world of how they can improve and what they should do and how they should change so that I can be happy. And the world just doesn't care. No? And we give everybody all of our precious advice, how to run their lives, and they say, mind your own business. Imagine the gall. How can they possibly say that? Of course, never mind that that's what we say to them when they give us their advice. But that's because their advice is wrong and bad and inappropriate. Whereas our advice is uh, sagious and appropriate and to be followed. 
Why? Because it's mine. It's the only reason. Okay. So this this mind that references everything in the universe to me becomes a big pain in the neck, you know, especially when we're trying to develop compassion for others. Because when the focus is so much on me, we can't even see others. You know? Or when we see them, we only see them in terms of how they relate to me. We never see them as real living beings with real feelings you know, who really want to be happy, who really don't want to suffer, who are exactly like me in that respect. It's so hard for us to see others as real living beings because our self-centered self makes it so that we're just kind of um, dealing with other living beings as if they're pawns to navigate or as if they're an obstacle course to run through or around but do we ever connect and really say this is somebody with feelings who wants to be happy who's also under the control of ignorance, affliction and karma just like me it's so hard for us to just extend that that same mm, I don't want to say humanity because it goes beyond humanity it goes to all living beings but you know to extend that to others because instead what the self-centered thought does is it wants to manipulate others and put them you know exactly where we want them so that we're going to be happy and they just better cooperate and my friends are the people who cooperate and do what I want them to do like say nice things to me and praise me and be there to support me and my enemies are the people who don't follow my advice and who even have the nerve to tell me so to my face and strangers are everybody else who doesn't affect me one way or another so why care okay so we kind of go through our life like that and with that kind of world view it's not surprising that we're unhappy is it not surprising at all because if everything's self-referenced you know, then everything's going to be unsatisfactory. It's never going to be good enough, no matter how much people bend over backwards to try and do what we want them to do. We're always going to complain something about them. We see it, don't we? We see it. Look at our families. Look at our families. You know, one complaint after another complaint about our families. Yeah. And this all comes because of this self-centered mind that just wants to control the whole universe. And yet in the process of trying to control the whole universe, it feels very lonely. Doesn't it? You know? Because there's this one big me that's the center of the universe. And I kick everybody out who doesn't do what I want them to do. 
which means that I'm the only one remaining because everybody at some point or another is going to do what I don't want them to do so then it gets very very lonely and then if you're like me what I do when I feel lonely is I sulk and then I expect everybody to notice I'm unhappy and come and say oh children dear what's wrong how can I help you Anybody else do that? (laughs) I don't tell anybody I'm unhappy. They're supposed to be clairvoyant and pick it up. You know, I drop a few hints so they know. And then they're supposed to stop their whole lives and come to me and say, Oh, dear children, you're unhappy. What can I do to change? And I go, I'm not unhappy. (laughs) You know, I'm so inviting of other people's affection when I'm unhappy, you know, that they just have to trample each other because they're so eager to come and help me because I'm so welcoming. Meanwhile, I just go around all day like this, you know. And they're supposed to fix it. And even when they try and fix it, it's never good enough. You know, these ridiculous sentient beings. Yeah. Can't they at least try and fix my problems and do it right? But this is exactly what the self-centered thought thinks, isn't it? Yeah. My problems are due to others. They should fix them. And they should fix them right. Yeah. So amazing. Yeah. So that's why, you know, we don't have to, when we talk, think about dictators, yeah, it's not Saddam Hussein, it's our own self centeredness. Yeah. It's our own self centeredness. That's the biggest dictator, and that's the biggest one to, you know, be concerned with. Because the worst an external dictator or an external enemy can do to us, the absolute worst they can do is take our life. Yeah. And we say, ah, it's the worst things anybody could do. But you know what? an external dictator and a worst enemy they can't send us to the lower realms they can't make us create negative karma they can't make us lose our compassion what sends us to to a lower rebirth what creates the negative karma that brings on our suffering it's the self-centered mind it's not other people it's the self-centered mind so in comparison, who harms us more? An external enemy or the internal enemy of the self-centered mind? Can anybody else make us create negative karma? Yeah. They can't make us have a bad motivation. What makes us have a bad motivation, what controls our mind, 
is this self-centeredness. So when we see it that way, you know, there's nothing really to complain about from other living beings because they can't really hurt us that much. Okay, they take our life, but they can't make us have a horrible rebirth. But even if they don't take our life, our self-centeredness will ensure that after we die we'll have a bad rebirth. So we have to get very, very clear, you know, exactly what is our enemy. And it's really not other living beings. Because when we look around, other living beings have been continually kind to us. Did anybody grow the food we ate today? Did any of you make the fabric that your clothes are made out of? Did anybody make this floor that we walked on? Or maybe get the material for the car that you rode in to come here? When we look around, you know, everything we have, everything we know, all of our talents and abilities, they all come because other people taught us. Other people worked. Other people did things. And we just kind of trot in there and present ourselves as the willing recipient of all their hard labors with nary a thought to even say thank you. people are helping us I found in doing research about my own anger that that usually the people I get mad at are people who are actually trying to help me but they just aren't helping me in the way I want them to but they're trying to help me so it's like you know if you're working on a project with other people you're dependent on them they're trying to help you on the project Why do you get mad? Because they aren't doing it right. They aren't helping you right. But they're really trying to help. It's not like they're trying to harm. So it's really kind of amazing how we get angry at people whose own inner wish is to benefit us and upon whom we're dependent for everything we have in our life. Because when we came out of the womb, it wasn't like we could take care of ourselves. It wasn't like we could do anything. We couldn't do, you know. All we did when we came out of the womb is what what the monks used to accuse Shantideva of doing. Eating, sleeping, and pooping. And crying. At least they didn't accuse Shanti Deva of crying. But we cried. Yeah. Didn't we? And people took care of us. Because we survived infancy. That's how we know they took care of us. 
So it's really something, you know, when, when we look and, and we see that in actual fact we're very dependent on others and that they've come through for us in such an amazing variety of ways. Of course, they don't come through for us always, but if we count the circumstances in which they do and compare it to the circumstances in which they don't, they help us more than they've harmed us because we're still alive. And many beings need to help us every day just so we stay alive. Many, many beings. So it's, it's quite something when, when we um, start to see things more accurately and then we, cut, we bump into the fact that we've been so self-preoccupied for so long and have really um, misunderstood who our enemy is and blamed the wrong enemy. For those who have helped us, we accuse of being enemies. The self-centered thought, which is the ultimate enemy, is the one we snuggle up to. Because self-centered thought says, look out for yourself. Because if you don't look out for yourself, nobody else will. Yes, sir. Or yes, ma'am. And self-centered thought says, go tell that person off because they don't respect you. And we go, right away. And we go do it. And self-centered thought says, go get that last piece of cake before anybody else does. We're off. We got that piece of cake. And self-centered thought says, praise yourself and denigrate others. But don't make it look like that's what you're really doing. And we do that. Yeah, we do that very well, don't we? Yeah. How to just casually let other people know what our good qualities are. But without looking arrogant, because then they won't like us. And then we think we're honest and straightforward. But we're straightforwardly deceiving them, aren't we? Okay, so this self-centered mind is the one that is the, the obstacle for developing compassion. And yet compassion is something that all of us really treasure and honor and respect so much, isn't it? Yeah, when we think of, of what makes life meaningful, of when we think, you know, of our happiest times, hasn't compassion and kindness been somehow involved in those? Yeah. And when we really think deeply of our happiest times, it's not just that we've been the recipient of other people's kindness of compassion, but kindness and compassion. But the, the times I think when we're most happy is when we're able to give kindness and compassion. Isn't it? 
you know you think of the, the times where you felt most fulfilled in your life isn't it when you've been able to give kindness and compassion it's not really when we've gotten what we've wanted it's when we've been able to open our own heart and give and so there's nothing particularly religious about kindness and compassion his holiness but his holiness says my religion is kindness yeah so that's really what our religion should be it's kindness and the reason he says that is because from the time we're born until the time we die kindness is the thing we rely most upon you know others kindness to us and then we need to rely on our kindness to others too because we all know if we just accept kindness continually but don't give it then we don't feel very fulfilled inside so somehow you know putting down this screaming dictator of the self-centeredness is what we really need to do and you know instead practice kindness and compassion kindness and compassion don't mean that we do what everybody else wants and kindness and compassion don't mean that we're a pushover because some people think oh if you're going to be kind and compassionate you just go out of your way to help everybody you get exhausted and you get compassion fatigue and you know you become this number one people pleaser but i think people pleasing is selfish it's not compassionate okay why is people pleasing selfish because we don't really care beans about the other person what we care about is ourselves and we want them to like us and we want them to feel obliged to us and we want them to give us things and do things for us or we're afraid of them leaving us so we try and please them so people pleasing has behind it a very self-centered motivation yeah and that's why we get so anxious when we become a people pleaser yeah because we're trying to be what we think other people think we should be yeah isn't that what we're doing when we're people pleasing i'm trying to be what i think you think i should be of course i don't know what you think i should be so i think i know what you think i should be mm-hmm. and i try and guess if i were you what i would think you would think i should be <laughs> and then i try and become it yeah so that's that's neurotic that <laughs> I know neurotics an old fashioned word but it is isn't it it makes us nutty trying to be what we think they think I should, we should be it it's just crazy making yeah because who knows what other people think we should be and anyway you know they change their mind all the time 
So the moment you try and be what you think they think you should be, they change their mind. So kindness is quite different than people-pleasing. You know, kindness is because we actually care. And when we're really being kind, when we're really being compassionate, we're actually willing to risk our reputation with other people. To do what we know is the best thing for them in the long run. Think about that. Now, many of you are parents. As a parent, haven't you had to do things that help your kid that your kid says they hate you for doing? How many people have had to do that? You know? But you do it because you care about your kid, don't you? You're not trying to hurt your kid. But you have to risk them saying, I hate you, which is so painful. But you risk that because you have to do what you know is going to be best for them in the long run. And that's the meaning of compassion. That's the meaning of kindness. So parents who think that they, you know, they just meet every demand that their kids present them with, That's not kindness to a child. Because the kid's going to grow up to be the screaming, spoiled brat who can't function in the world with other people because they've never learned how to handle their own frustration and disappointment. Yeah. So, So, you know, we know that when we're really being kind, sometimes we need to do very difficult things and risk somebody else not liking us. Yeah. So sometimes kindness and compassion is very soft and very gentle and very understanding. And sometimes kindness and compassion is no. You know? I know you want to do this, but that's not what's going to happen. Okay? So we have to, you know, really have an accurate idea of what kindness and compassion mean. Otherwise, we really get all twisted up in knots trying to to please everybody, even when they want things that harm themselves and harm others. So we have an expression, it's called Mickey Mouse compassion. In fact, I remember we we did a skit one time. For one of my teachers, I was living in one Dharma center, and we did a skit. Skits are very good to do sometimes. They really, you really say things that you know need to be said. And uh, and it was about Mickey Mouse compassion. So somebody we had some mouse ears for them. So it was the the Mickey Mouse person who gave all the Dharma center wealth to the, the, the guys uh, who bought, no, I think maybe like they bought liquor for all the winos, you know, with the Dharma Center money. You know, because that's compassion, because they're going to be happy. Okay. So it, it was a quite, quite amusing skit, but, uh, you know, there was some truth in it, how we act sometimes. Okay.
but there's a, a real caring that comes with kindness and compassion where we uh, extend the boundaries we go outside of the narrow restricted view that we have of ourselves uh, to, to really see other living beings as living beings with feelings and to work for their benefit so Shantideva gives uh, an example he was the one that the monks accused of eating, sleeping and going to the bathroom um, he is also the author of this fantastic book called The Guide to Bodhisattva's Way of Life so he gave this example of helping others being as natural as a hand pulling a thorn out of the foot yeah so when we step on a thorn or on a rusty nail our hand reaches down and pulls the nail or the thorn out and it does this quite naturally doesn't it yeah so it pulls the thorn out of the foot it bandages the foot up go and get your tetanus shot whatever you need to do yeah and and then life goes on and the hand does this very very naturally it doesn't say foot you stepped on another rusty nail you idiot you know just at the time when I want to relax and you make me move to reach down and take the thorn out of you but you see how kind and compassionate I am the great and glorious hand who is again going to save you the stupid foot from all the problems you've created for yourself so I'm going to save you once again and don't you forget my kindness Okay, the hand doesn't do that does it <laughs> yeah in fact it would be pretty catastrophic if the hand were arrogant and proud and condescending yeah it would really be a mess so why does the hand just reach down and help the foot so automatically because it's part of the same organism the hand isn't making a difference that I'm a hand and you're the foot but the hand is just seeing we are part of the same organism as of this body and if this body is going to survive we need to cooperate yeah so foot you take me places where I need to go and I help you when you you know step on something but we help each other and we do it very naturally so the thing is if as living beings we see ourselves we develop an identity as being one part of this whole called sentient beings then it becomes possible to reach out and help others in the same natural way that the hand helps the foot because we see ourselves as part of this broader group that needs to cooperate in order to survive 
We see ourselves as part of one big organism. So it's the self-centered thought and the self-grasping ignorance that lock us up feeling like there's an independent I inside this body that can take care of itself. When actually we are part of all sentient life and we depend so much on each other and we can't live without each other. So the love songs that are wailing, I can't live without you, you know, are not designed for one person who's the object of our attachment. They are designed for every single living being because we can't live without them. We're completely dependent on the kindness of others. As much as we feel that there's this, we're in control, actually, we're dependent in many, many ways. Okay? So when we see ourselves as part of this big group, then, you know, we help others very naturally because suffering is something to be eliminated no matter whose it is. And happiness is something to be gained, no matter whose it is. So we don't make this big difference between me and the other. His Holiness talks so much about this whole thing of cooperation. Because he gives the example of ants. Maybe some of you have noticed walking down the Cloud Mountain driveway, the ant hill on the left side. You've seen that enormous anthill. Yeah. If you haven't seen it, we'll go on a little expedition. It's right off the left-hand side of the road. Anyway, all those ants work together to create that huge anthill that protects all of them. Yeah. They work so collaboratively. They cooperate so much with each other to preserve what's good for all of them. And the bees do the same thing. The bees work very, very well together. They don't go around stinging each other. They work well together and help each other for the good of the entire community. And this is how we human beings need to be. Okay? If the ants and the bees can help each other, then certainly we can help each other. Yeah? Because our existence depends on helping each other. Totally depends on it. So, in science, they like to talk about survival of the fittest. Actually... I think it's survival of the most cooperative. Because, you know, if it's survival of the fittest, then within a species, everybody's attacking each other and clobbering each other. And how is, you know, us human beings, how are we going to survive if we're clobbering each other? Yeah? When we collaborate, when we help each other, then so much good comes about. 
So we really have to practice seeing ourselves as part of this big collective of just sentient life. So this is these are our things to train our mind in. You know, all the time. Yeah. Whenever you're with other sentient beings, to train our mind in, you know, I'm dependent on the compassion of others. I'm dependent on the kindness of others. And I want to repay that. So it's so interesting, even coming to uh, a retreat like this, you know, Sometimes we come with this consumer mind of, you know, well, I paid my money and I deserve certain kind of care in this retreat. And I'm going to do what I want to do and I'm not going to do what I don't feel like doing. And I'll complain and whatever. Okay. But if you look at it this way, do any of us alone have the karma to cause this retreat to happen? If, if we were the only one who signed up for it, would this retreat occur? <laughs> Do we have the karma alone to receive teachings? To do retreat? We don't, do we? Yeah. We depend on the karma of the entire group to create a situation whereby we can hear the Dharma and practice the Dharma and be at a retreat for a week. Yeah. It isn't us alone. It's not even our own karma alone that makes it happen. It's everybody working together. All of our karma together creates this opportunity. All of us cooperating together, you know, plus the aid of the staff and all the people who take care of Cloud Mountain and all the people who are taking care of other things for us while we're here. So we're not an independent entity that's just snapping our fingers and say, I want to listen to the Dharma. It should appear before me. No, you know, we, we come together. It's all of us cooperatively okay so when we see you know our for example in in this case our opportunity to do retreat as dependent upon all the other people who are here then the judgmental mind gets subdued yeah because how can we sit and judge people who we depend on to have this opportunity yeah, it doesn't make any sense. We're shooting ourselves in the foot. Okay? So what's the sense of judging people who have been kind to us? And I say that because, you know, especially when we're in silence on retreat, sometimes our judgmental mind, boy, it just takes over and runs the show, doesn't it? Yeah? And we're judging everybody. Somebody walks by and why are they walking that way? Somebody else walks by. <sighs> Gee, their clothes don't even match. Somebody else walks by. Oh, they aren't even standing up straight. Then even somebody's sitting down. 
oh, they're moving their mala too loud. They're breathing too loud. Don't they know it's silent meditation? Why are they breathing? (laughs) They should be quiet. Just stop breathing so loud. Stop breathing. mind is just too much. Yeah. So this judgmental mind, it, you know, it's just the epitome of ridiculousness. And the, the epitome of self-sabotaging. Yeah. Because we depend on all these people to have this opportunity. If they're all bugging us and they all went away, there would be no retreat. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so we really have to see, you know, even in your workplace, you know, why do you have a job? Because of the kindness of the people who hire you. So why are we complaining about our boss all the time? You know, and why are we able to do our work because of the, the people, you know, the employees that help us, or the, you know, the people who are under us who help us? If they weren't there, we'd have to do everything they're doing. Yeah. So when we really see this interdependence, then we see that you know criticizing people is is you know really self-sabotaging our own happiness because we rely on all these people to you know to survive. So this is a you know something we really need to reflect on again and again and again and um, bring to mind again and again and again because it, it takes a lot of effort to pull us out of the habit we have of the self-centered mind. One thing that's very important in this process is not to beat up on ourselves because we're self-centered. Remember we've been talking about how we go to extremes? So either I'm really self-centered or I hate myself because I'm self-centered. But isn't hating ourselves because we're self-centered being self-centered? It is, isn't it? Okay. So hating ourselves for being self-centered is just another instance of the universe revolving around me. And you know what? Guilt is the same thing. Yeah. Guilt is just the epitome of self-centeredness. I am so powerful that I can make everything go wrong. That's what guilt says, isn't it? You know? All the suffering that other people experience, it's my fault. Somebody else is unhappy, it's my fault. You know, what's the logic behind that? I'm so powerful, I can make them unhappy. I'm so powerful, I can make them make wrong, bad decisions in their life. bit self-inflated, don't you think? Yeah? So guilt is really, you know, 
not very productive at all. Not very productive. Now some of us are very well trained in guilt, aren't we? Yeah. And I always tell the story of maybe some, some of you here when we it was many years ago at a cloud mountain retreat. And I remember because it was summer and we were having the it was discussion group time and we were sitting out in the grass in front and we broke down into uh, groups according to our religion of origin and we talked about guilt yeah and then when we got together to debrief yeah we you know we were talking about how we had all grown up with guilt you know according to how we were raised you know in our family in our religion or whatever and uh, there was a showdown <laughs> between the Catholics and the Jews <laughs> over who had more guilt. <laughs> Guess who won? <laughs> the Jews won. <laughs> wouldn't give in because they really thought they won. <laughs> okay. Were you here, Julie, for that one? Yeah. Yeah. It was a great, you remember that one? Yeah. It was a great discussion, really. Yeah. And we just see how completely ridiculous guilt is. You know, it's just another manifestation of that self-centeredness. Yeah. So, you know, what we need instead is a mind that can accurately discriminate, you know, what is our responsibility and what isn't our responsibility. Right? And we don't have that skill very much. Because usually we take responsibility for things that aren't our responsibility, and we don't take responsibility for things that are. Yeah? So, you know, somebody we care about catches a cold, we blame ourselves. Yeah? As a parent, you know, your kids have some suffering, you blame yourself. Yeah? As if you could control your child's karma and control them and squeeze them into that mold you've made for them so that they'll be happy. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. So taking responsibility for things that aren't our... Is, our responsibility really makes us quite miserable. And then the, on the other hand, things that are our responsibility, where we have, you know, been negligent, or when we have deliberately said something cruel and mean to somebody, that we don't take responsibility for at all because we say, you made me angry. Yeah. Why did I say that awful, cruel, horrible thing to you? Because you made me angry. So it's your fault. If you didn't make me angry, I wouldn't have said that to you. Yeah? 
But it's blatantly our responsibility, isn't it? Our words are our responsibility. We can't say, you made me angry. The anger came from in here. Okay? So we need to, you know, kind of readjust <laughs> some of the things here. And it, it takes some, some time and some practice to do this because uh, sometimes it's, you know, we were talking before about it sometimes being scary to change because we're so used to certain defiled, confused ways of thinking. So it can be scary to give up our guilt. And it can be scary to give up taking responsibility for things that aren't our responsibility because we've built such uh, ego identity out of it. And it can be equally as shocking and frightening to start taking responsibility for things that are our responsibility. Because that hurts the self-centered thought. Okay? But this is what we, you know, the kind of investigation that uh, and, dis- and discernment that we need to make in our in our meditation, so that we can start, you know, uh, cleaning things up in our mind and in our life. So let's have a little bit of silent meditation right now, and let's spend some time thinking about this. Okay. So you can take any of the topics that I covered so far or you know if this last one about responsibility is hitting you do that one or if one of the previous ones you know was stronger do that but, but really uh, look inside with vi- with incredible clear wisdom but also be gentle and kind to yourself don't beat yourself up <laughs> 